This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. You're listening to Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio, Sirius XM 111. Here again is Dan Loney. Welcome back. Hour number two of Knowledge at Wharton on Sirius XM 111, Business Radio powered by the Wharton School. Most of us understand the still significant problem that homelessness and hunger are here in the United States, the most prosperous country on the planet. But new research shows that this issue goes into an area that maybe not many people would expect. It involves college students who are at times having issues finding or keeping a place to live. It also includes having proper meals every day. The assumption would be that if you're going to college and you are paying those bills, that food and sleep or a place to sleep are necessarily a given. New research looks at how hunger and homelessness are affecting college. Joel Schneider is an associate professor of psychological studies and education at Temple University. He joins me here in studio. Daphne Hernandez is an assistant professor of health and human performance at the University of Houston, and she joins me on the phone as well. Joel, nice meeting you. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Daphne, great to have you on the phone with us. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. So what was it that, that Joel, drew your attention to this specific issue and, and looking into the research on it? So I arrived at Temple University last fall, and one of my colleagues, Dr. Sarah Goldrick-Rab, uh, asked if I would help out with the data analysis on a study that she's working on and has been working on for many years. And uh, I come from a background where I did not have to worry about my next meal, and I did not worry about uh, paying for my rent. And I initially went in with really old stereotypes about what college students are, right. you know, that, that they're privileged in general. Uh, many of them, and many of them do come from backgrounds like mine, where I didn't have to worry. And when I started to look at the numbers, I was appalled. Uh, my stereotypes were way, way out of date. Daphne, what was it for you? Uh, well, I've been studying food insecurity for the past 10 years, and my interest was a- along the lines of we, for many years, have focused on mothers and children, and we focused, uh, you know, children and adults, but we've been missing the middle group. We've been missing the college-age uh, students, and so I've actually teamed up with uh, Dr. Sarah Goldergrab on a study here in Houston that focuses on college students, and so um, I'm just been very interested in this group that we've kind of been omitting in the research for a long time. So to put it in some context, the, the word insecurity, as you use it in regards to to food and and, um, and uh, a place to live, really means what, Daphne? Lack of access. So if we're talking about food, we're really talking about lack of access to food because of resources. And if we're talking about housing, we're, we're talking about uh, housing instability. We're talking about uh, couch surfing, uh, not, having, not knowing where you're really going to sleep the very next day. And, yes, it may sound cool to, college, uh, to couch surf doing college, but it, it's really not. So when you're talking about this study then, and you looked at a variety of different locations, you looked at uh, both two- and four-year colleges, you also looked at community colleges and 
and private institutions as well. And seemingly the data, Joel, shows, as you alluded to, some very, in many cases, probably scary data points that there is a a massive problem out there right now. If the numbers were half what they were, I would still be extremely concerned. And so when when you look at the numbers, like about uh, one-third of students have uh, food insecurity, I would be terribly worried if one-tenth did. And uh, so the, the kinds of things that we're talking about with food insecurity would be things like um, not worrying about where my next meal is going to come from and uh, having to skip meals, sometimes three days in a row, um, sometimes going a whole wow. day without food uh, to make it to the end of the month. Um, so uh, we're not talking about uh, starvation, people dying on the streets. Uh, people drop out of, of college before that happens. Right. And, and that was going to be my next point is, is that, Daphne, that seemingly when you have uh, uh, it, it feels like a lot of these factors together, uh, the impact on the student uh, could be, you know, lower scores that, that that person is receiving in their classes. Or I would think it probably there is an element of dropout that plays into this. Yeah, so what we see in students uh, that are food insecure, they they have a tendency to have lower grades in class. And so as professors, uh, you might internalize that as a lack of effort. It's really not a lack of effort. They're they're trying the best as they can to make ends meet. It's that something is going to have to suffer, and that, that is their education. So they may be having trouble paying attention in class, um, not you know, not having the energy to study at night. So you do see lower grades, and eventually um, students will drop out of college because that is that is a mechanism to make ends meet. So they drop out so that they can then go work the full time job so that they can feed themselves. But we know that that is eventually probably not going to help them get get themselves out of poverty. Joel, yeah. So about. One-third of young adults now get bachelor's degrees. About two-thirds try. So what we're talking about is about a 50% dropout rate, approximately. And then there are the people who uh, would like to go to college but see too many obstacles. Right. And uh, so the good news is that uh, more Americans are getting bachelor's degrees than ever before. What it also means is that we're drawing from a segment of the population that uh, is going into college for the first time in their families. They're many first-generation college students, and uh, their their needs are different from what they were 50 years ago. Is they're, is this an issue that, that – because obviously this data is very important, but is this an issue that colleges recognize is happening on their campuses across the U.S.? I, some more than others, and many of them uh, are are working very hard – to make sure that they meet the needs of their students. For example, at Temple University, very recently, uh, new initiatives were uh, uh, rolled out to, to provide food for, for hungry students, in part because of the data that we provided them, that they didn't realize that it was as big of a problem as, as it was. Daphne, I'm guessing you are probably involved in a variety of ideas there at the University of Houston to try and eliminate this as much as you can. Yeah, so there's conversations around um, adding a food pantry at the University of Houston, um, and there's several colleges around the Houston area that have added food pantries. Um, I've also teamed up with the Houston Food Bank, um, and what they're doing is they're uh, assisting Houston Houston Community College, HCC, in providing their students a food scholarship. And so what that does is those students can um, attend 
a food distribution, which is similar to uh, a farmer's market twice a month, and they are allotted up to 60 pounds of food. So there's definitely mm-hmm. different um, there's different strategies that are going on right now um, among campuses across the nation to address this issue. But I do have to agree that some universities and colleges are more aware of this than others. So it sounds like, Daphne, the communication is a, is an important piece to this story here, because obviously when, when you have a student that may be in a situation like this, I would believe that the tendency would be to kind of hide it and not really want to bring it out. And then you mentioned about, uh, the, you know, the impact between the student and the professor in those particular classes. That professor is not necessarily thinking about this as, as a problem in the first place. So if if the communication can probably be improved along with some of the availability, then we may be able to really tackle this. Oh, exactly. I mean, I think communication is is key. Um, Something that Dr. Golder Grab has encouraged is placing a disclaimer on on your syllabus, stating that if you are um, experiencing um, difficulties with making ends meet, whether it's food or housing, to please, you know, contact her. And and several professors across the nation are doing this um, with the idea that um, we are first line of defense to these students. I mean, these students see us face-to-face at least on a weekly basis. Uh, we can then communicate this information to higher administration that something needs to be done um, and in the immediate need assist the student with um, trying to, to solve, solve the issue. But definitely communication is key in reducing this problem. Joel, you, uh, as I mentioned earlier, you make the distinction in, in the data that, that you collected between community colleges and, and private institutions, four-year institutions. P- public and private. Pu- public yeah. and private. Is there an element of the fact that in, in many cases, community college obviously are kids that are you know, maybe may taking the bus to go to college or they're driving themselves and they may have a job outside of that. Is there an element of that that, that may play into this as well? So the needs and security are, are uh, higher at, at two-year institutions and, and community colleges. Uh, instead of like a, a third, we're talking about close to half. Sometimes there's upward of 60% in some uh, community colleges. And the needs are, are quite different because the, the students are quite different. They're yeah. often older. They often are, are married. They often have children. Many of them are not only not getting money from home, but they're sending money to home, that they are supporting their families. They're supporting their, their brothers and sisters. One of the big differences is that they're engaged in a lot more child care and elder care. And so uh, these these are, are, are very different students yeah. from the the stereotypical student at a four-year institution with a meal plan in the dorm. Which plays into uh, one of the statistics you have in there that a majority of the people – that, that you talked to were not considered to be on the support of a parent. Correct. Which, which plays into that older narrative or students that, that are not having the support of, 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 a family, of a family cycle. Right. Often when they apply for loans, their, their family is expected to contribute. Many people don't have that story in which they've got a family who can contribute or is willing to. And so uh, they uh, find themselves in a strange place where uh, they're going to have to make up the difference some other way. And interestingly enough, you know, we like to doom and gloom about you know kids these days and so forth. They're working more than they ever have. Sure, yeah. Uh, Americans have a strong work ethic. They've had it for a long, long time, and they still do. And so we're seeing that the students who are working the most 
are the ones who have the most needs and security, that they're most likely to experience hunger and homelessness. Why? Mm. Well, because when your needs are, are greater, you tend to, to take on uh, additional work. Uh, in Sarah Goldrick's Rab's book, she tells this wonderful anecdote of she's teaching at one of the, the premier institutions of Wisconsin, and she's got a student who's falling asleep in class, and she's offended. Yeah. And she asked the person to, the student to, to meet her in her office hours, and she's not really sure what she's going to say. Yeah. And as she talks, she realizes, oh, this, this student, in order to get a higher wage, is working nights and yeah. uh, is, is, is adjusting to that and is falling asleep in class. Uh, often it's, it's, you just don't know what, what people are up against. Which the other part of this story, Daphne, which uh, I, I'm, I think it's well known, is that it feels like, well, college in general is a stressful time for young adults, let alone 20-somethings, 30-somethings that may be going back to college. Then you throw in some of these other elements, like you're talking about uh, in this reporting, and the stress levels have to be through the roof for many people. Yeah, so um, stress level increases. Um, food insecurity is highly correlated with mental health problems such as depression and anxiety. And so, you know, we we have to start thinking about how all of this is related. Um, suicide uh, ideation and suicide rates actually increase at the beginning of the fall semester. Um, and colleges, I mean, just to reiterate what we just said earlier, communication is key, and colleges have a ten- tendency not to publicize this information. Instead, we need to address it head on. And, you know, and there could be this connection between the lack of basic needs and depression and suicide. And so we can definitely, I think, uh, take a step back and see how all this is connected and attempt to reduce. Um, you know, if we attempt to reduce one, we'll probably attempt, we'll be indirectly reducing mental health problems and, of course, suicidal ideation. We are, jo- we are joined by Daphne Hernandez of the University of Houston on the phone and in studio by Joel Schneider of Temple University. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you can't get to your phone, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. We're talking about their research involving college students and the issues of home- homelessness and hunger involved Involving colleges to college students here in the uh, United States right now. One of the other interesting data points, and, and I guess uh, to see how it really played out within the data, is that a, a large section of the students, Joel, that were that were in this report uh, were not on school meal plans. And I would guess part of that is a financial issue, but part mm-hmm. of that uh, is a is a concern issue as well. Many schools are community colleges; they're often commuter schools. And so there is no meal plan. Uh, people live off campus. And so it is true that when you have a meal plan, you are not usually food insecure. Yeah. That you, you, you know where your next meal is. Um, one of the, the interesting innovations that is happening around uh, colleges is that students are donating leftover meals on their meal plan to students huh. who need them. It's just, just a, a wonderful uh, solution, I think, which is which gives an impact. I mean, it could be as small as a couple of dollars. It could be as much as as twenty five dollars, whatever is whatever that amount is. Correct? Yeah, it, it, these small things add up. Of course, this is not the the only solution. There has to be a, a comprehensive solution. But it's one thing that college students can do right now 
in many colleges. So what are some of the things that we need to start to consider? What are that the universities need to consider to be able to help this process along? So one thing that I think needs to happen is that we have to acknowledge in a more forthright way uh, how, how severe the problem is. And then uh, we have to also recognize that if we don't do something, what we're going to see is that uh, many of the, the students who could succeed in college are going to drop out. And then we're also not going to see the students who would have come in and uh, benefited our society by gaining a college education. And so we're just going to miss out. And we're not even going to know it because we're not going to see them. And this is the saddest thing of all for me. Daphne, what are, what are the things that, that you think are important? Absolutely. I mean, I think colleges need to take a step back and really do a needs assessment uh, and figure out um, who, the, you know, who the, these students are on their campuses. Um, it probably will look very similar to this report, but we know that the demographics of campuses differ, um, followed by, um, you know, you know, there's different strategies out there. Um, there's the meal plan option, the, the food pantry option. Um, while all of these um, will meet the need of the student immediately, we also need to figure out long term what is the sustainability and how do we address the larger larger issues of, of these students. But I definitely think a needs assessment needs to be done on colleges, college campuses before putting up a food pantry. One of one of the other other data points that you bring up, Daphne, uh, you look at it geographically. And you look at some of these uh, uh, institutions that are either in urban settings or in, in more rural settings and even suburban settings. Is there differences between the location and the impact uh, that, that this type of problem is having right now? Well, there definitely, there definitely could be. Uh, you know, in the South, uh, definitely we have uh, – there could definitely be more undocumented students. Um, at these schools, and right. so their needs are going to be different. Um, so just it, taking that into consideration. So if their stress levels are high, plus they have high food insecurity rate, um, you know, we could have these students be dropping out um, when we know that immigrants have contributed highly to this to this country, and so it would be sad to lose to lose that. Joel, so you know, what can we do? There are things that you can do at the personal level. For me. It was uh, uh, when I saw the numbers, I had a wave of gratitude come over me Mm -hmm. that uh, I was grateful to my parents. I was grateful to this society and to the taxpayers that uh, they made my public university education low cost and uh, that I was able to get loans uh, that were subsidized and things like that. Uh, And then I thought, why isn't it like this for everyone? And if we want a more inclusive society, we're going to have to rethink what we're doing. Uh, as as we get more and more inclusive, as we get closer to achieving our goals of inclusion, mm-hmm. uh, the needs are going to be greater and greater, and we're going to have to rethink what we're doing. Uh, so there's the personal, that, and then there's the institutional, that various institutions can put in uh, uh, programs. We cited Amarillo, Amarillo College as standing out in, in using predictive analytics of targeting uh, their ed- education and outreach efforts to students who were likely to experience risk. Uh, so there are things that, that various institutions are doing. And then there's the, the societal level. We're going to have to think what, what kind of society do we want to have and how are we going to get there. And uh, I, I don't think that we're going to be able to do it unless we're going to be able to convince a, a solid majority of our citizens 
how to do it. And that means reaching across ideological divides. And the divides are, are large. And so we're going to have to come up with something that we can agree to. We're not all going to get what we want. Yeah. But somehow we're going to have to reach out to one another. Well, and Daphne, Joel brought up a, a great comment a second ago, and I get your reaction. I mean, I think the expectation is why isn't it like this for everybody, you know, who goes to college these days? Whether You know, community college may be one thing because of the, the travel dynamic, but if you're going to a public or a private four-year institution, the expectation is that everybody should be on the same uh, same level, same playing field. Right, um, and that's what what we think it should, but it, but it's not. Um, and I think it, it's something that's missing, especially if we think about uh, public institutions, and we correlate that to public high schools. Is that when when a student attends a public high school, there is uh, reduced and free school yeah. lunch plans, and and that is missing. That is currently missing at the college level, and so. We have these programs up to age 18, and then these students are enrolling in college. Or these students perhaps were not on these programs, but then lose the financial support of their family and would benefit from such a program. So, I mean, I think we're talking about solutions from a policy perspective. We need to think about what is working at the primary, uh, you know, primary education and how can we learn from that and adapt it to the college level and make it, uh, you know, uniform across, uh, which is something that we know is not currently happening. But, but seemingly, is it that is it that hard to have an expectation that you could put together a program like that, Daphne? Um. <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe. I mean, maybe that's a little naive for me to say that, but I mean, you would think that, you know, when you're talking about the you wanting to have the best for your students, especially ones that are are having some of these issues, you would think you would you would be able to find the path to be able to get some type of program like that for those that are that are in need. And the path is being paved. Way it is being paved. I mean, there are just these discussions, but again, um, there are differences, political differences that are occurring that don't make this um, what we may seem like a simple idea come to fruition. But I think the path is currently being paved, and and the idea is at least out there and being discussed. And so, hopefully. Uh, you know, this is something that we can keep the momentum going and find a way. Again, it may not be perfect. We may need to meet somewhere in the middle, but we can come up with some program that that is like the National School Lunch Program yeah. that can address the needs of college students. Joel? There are many societies in which college education is, is more available to a wider segment of their, their population. In Europe, they found other ways of doing it. Now, I'm not saying that the United States is, is like European countries. We, we're a different society and we're, we have a different history and we have a different set of, of policies that we tend to prefer. And so we're going to have to maybe learn from our, our international peers of how to do this, um, uh, that there are ways of subsidizing in a targeted way that uh, I think would be agreeable to people across the ideological spectrum. Um, people on the left worry about um, uh, market forces and the dangers, and these are realistic worries. People yeah. who are libertarian, they worry about undermining of civic responsibility sure. and so forth. These are legitimate worries. People who are conservative have their own worries. And if you're monitoring uh, conservative radio and things like 
they're, they're, they are worried that, that college is not necessarily for them and their children, and, and they're becoming uh, concerned that maybe this isn't a level play, playing field for all. Right. And so I think that what we're going to have to do is, is start talking uh, uh, as citizens of the same country and same society and say, how are we going to make these opportunities available for all of us, all of our children? So what's your expectation of the impact that this report can potentially have then? I want people to be alarmed like I was. I want them to feel it in their gut that uh, this is not right. It's not just. It, it, we should have inclusion. We should have equal opportunity. Accidents of birth should not determine success in life. And I, I, I understand that we're up against realities that are difficult to deal with. Yeah. Um, and uh, we can take steps closer towards achieving um, the, the ideals of our society, which is uh, an egalitarian project. And so we're, we're not there. Uh, we're far from our ideals. But I think that we can move closer. And the fact that we have more college graduates than ever before sure. yeah. means that we are getting there, but every step is going to be increasingly difficult. Daphne? Yeah, I, what I would like um, to, re, you know, the result of this report is to have this discussion, you know, to continue to have this discussion, uh, make universities aware, universities and community colleges aware, and followed out of those discussions, what are possible strategies and solutions that we are going to attempt to do to address this issue, Um I mean, I think it goes back to, again, communication is key, and I think this I would like this report to be a form of a communication starter. Great having you both uh, with us today. Joel, nice meeting you. Thank you for nice coming, you. coming over. You. Daphne, thank you for your time on the phone today from Houston. All the best. Thank you. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.